Hi, this is Beth Orton. You're listening to the Green Man Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Green Man Podcast. Chrysler Podcast in Hi there, you're listening to the Green Man Podcast with myself, Pete Papides, in faintly apocalyptic conditions. <laughs> uh, apocalyptic conditions, which I have to say, Beth Orton, who's sitting opposite me, just absolutely just powered through with charm and total brilliance over at the mountain stage. Beth, congratulations. Thank you. It was awesome. It really was. Your band, your, everything about it was amazing. Your energy, you have such a great energy about you on stage. Thank it's you. Well, that was wild. It was like everyone was playing, like sort of willing the crowd to, yeah. to stay and just have a good time, you know, and they seemed to. Yeah, I mean, it was, ju- it was just wonderful. Everyone was just so happy who'd sort of made it out there. Yeah. Do you have to sort of give yourself a little motivational speech to sort of say, right, oh. really got to jolly th- these well, guys? Well, no, when I got out there and there were so many people i was a bit shocked yeah. i just feel like it was like one of those brilliant things that happens at a gig where everyone's just sort of willing each other on to have a have a, yeah. a beautiful time and it's just the best best crowd best festival it's wonderful you've wanted to come here for a while haven't you, you i said. love it yeah i have yeah what was it what had you heard that made you want to come here well i believe it's kind of somewhere i belong Mm. Yeah, you're a, you're a very green man artist. I think I so. Say. I think somewhere I, I should be. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but you did miss a trick because we just heard from I I know your your son was it Arthur? Arthur, yeah. He just he with showing the the fearlessness that only children can, wandered into Devo's dressing room, <laughs> and and asked them where where he could get one of their famous hats from. Yeah, and could he have one of theirs even? Because apparently it's an item of merch. It's sold out. Has it made you? Has it given you cause to think that maybe you should have some slightly unusual items of merch? Well, I know I'm a bit rubbish with merch. Though I was, did you see? I was wearing that bright yellow mm. um, boiler, oh, boiler suit. Boiler suit. Bo- yeah. Thank you. Yeah. In uh, in honour of Devo. I didn't know I was wearing it in honour of Devo until I got here, and I was like, oh. they probably saw you back here, thought you were some kind of super fan. Yeah, I am. Massive. In fact, they're probably saving a hat for you. That's why they couldn't <laughs> oh, give it to Arthur. Damn. Anyway. Uh, I made a calculated guess that after having been on stage for over an hour play your music, that you probably wouldn't want to answer lots of serious analytical questions about your music. So I'm gonna, I've got a, a bunch of questions that mostly avoid music, but okay. well, nonetheless, give us a flavour of the real Beth Orton. Oh, this is my favourite question. I'm gonna level. I've asked this question to many artists before you. Okay. Each time I get a different answer. Okay. We're standing outside a news agent or a corner shop, just a typical news agent or a corner shop. I give you a shiny two pound coin and say to you, Beth, spend anything you like. Go in there, just utilize this two pound coin to, to, to the maximum effect that's possible. What are you gonna buy? A bag of salt and vinegar crisps. Okay, I think you've still got some change. Well, not the ones I like, they're really posh. But um, if I had some change, I'd probably buy, um, it's really boring, but I really love dates. That's not boring. And they all do it, they're fresh dates. So yeah. I'd get, I'll probably get a couple of dates. And you'll get the kind of energy spike you'll need right. to play storming sets yeah. at yes, the mountain that's right. stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Storming right. the mountains. Do you have dates on your rider? I don't have dates on my rider, but that's a good, but I do have nuts yeah. and dried fruits. Nuts are just, the older I get, the, the more, more you I, love a nut. the less I take nuts for granted. Right, they're just your friend. What are your top three nuts? Almond, definitely almond, pecan, and um, 
cashew. Cashew. Yeah, 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 love a cashew. Lately, Brazil nuts have entered my top. Oh, three. I love a Brazil nut, but that's more for Christmas, special occasions. Well, they have selenium that's very, they're rich in selenium, which is very good for, for preventing prostate. Not so much of an issue for you. <laughs> Not yet. But, but, for but for men. Middle aged guys like me. Yeah. <laughs> um, Beth, when did you last Google yourself? Um, I Googled myself the other day because I needed to know the lyrics to a song of mine. What was the song? Um, it was a song from Comfort Strangers, and it was called Feral Children. Wow. Yeah. And did um, do you often have occasion to do that? I tr I try really hard not to, like, cause yeah, you never know what's going to come no, up to absolutely. you. Absolutely. Let's be absolutely. honest. <laughs> um, what are the three best ways to have potatoes? Oh, right, slow roasted potatoes with slow roasted lamb, with loads of lemon and garlic. Yeah. and you stick them in for hours and hours and they go all kind of sticky. Would you stick a few herbs in there as well? I'd stick a lot of herbs. Yeah. I'd, put, I'd put oregano, I'd put rosemary, yeah. olive oil, obviously. Um, oh, butter, yeah. white wine, wow. just hours. And they're just like, mm. yeah, that. And then, um, you know, like when you get a potato and you smash it with garlic yeah. and, and <laughs> salt and pepper and olive oil. Yeah. And chips. Chips gotta have chips in yeah. there yeah just good good and what chips. condiment would you have on those chips probably ketchup yeah and if i was being fancy a bit of mayonnaise okay right okay but ketchup yeah you go heinz on the ketchup heinz. right yeah heinz 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 <laughs> okay um if you had to give someone a last minute birthday present and you there's no time to go to the shop so you have to just see what's in the house what would you give them a book you just pick a book from your yeah. shelf yeah. And would you sort of, would you choose one that looks think, new? Yes, or? definitely try and get some new newness in there. But also, I'm not too worried as long as I know they'd like it. But but we get a lot of books in right. the old house. There's a lot of books come through. Okay. And so there's often a couple of new ones that haven't been read. Because okay. um, my husband, he does, does some banjo lessons. And one of the people he does banjo lessons for pays him in poetry and cheese wow yeah wow so if, if there's an apocalypse and <laughs> the whole monetary system falls down we're just gonna have a lot of cheese and a, a lot, lot of books. cheese yeah that's, gonna, that's not really gonna affect you as much as other people no, um, we're gonna be fine you've played the gig everyone's really happy um, people want the good times to continue and they're all looking to you because you're an accomplished musician cut a long story short you're in charge of an after-hours sing-along what do you play to get everyone in the mood I'd probably play one of my daughter's mixes because she has become an amazing collector of music during the pandemic especially right. and I think a lot of kids yeah yeah she's become a playlist like monster okay and it's like oh what should we put on oh we'll put on one of Nancy's playlists so, so you wouldn't get strap on the guitar and go behind the piano and oh you mean if, a bit of oh you mean like if it was me yeah, yeah. oh i see what you yeah, mean yeah. yeah well i i i mean my immediate reaction probably like oasis right okay not that i know any oasis but this is this imaginary self yeah. and i think elton john obviously that always gets them going um yeah just just some classics if you had to form your own traveling wilburys equivalent of Apart from yourself, obviously, who would be in it? Who would be the other four? Tom Waits, Joni Mitchell, Neil Young, and 
I mean, I'd say Van Morrison, but he probably wouldn't work. Yeah, I mean, you're probably right. He'd probably just have to be in his own sound booth. No. He'd never come out. But yeah, so I would, I mean, I'd, I mean, a bit of a cliche, but I would, I, if I could write songs with those three people yeah. in a room and then travel with them, I think all my dreams would be answered. Uh, but one more would be, um, I think I'd Carol King it. I'd probably Carole bring King, Carol King yeah. in. Yeah, that's a good combination of people. Right? I mean, maybe notwithstanding Van Morrison, I think those people would get along very well together. I think they would. And yeah. it's like that, because pulling a band together is like the ultimate like dinner party. It's like yeah. pulling a band together is like, it's like it, that sounds silly, but it is. It's like cooking food with your face. It's like, I feel like, yeah, it's like a beautiful meal. I love eating. I love yeah. eating with people. I love cooking. Yeah. But I, and I love pulling people together. And a, when a band, like, oh, you know, like no, tonight, t- it's totally. so beautiful. Um, famously, you worked with Terry Callier. Yes. Tell us something that would surprise us about him. He eats or ate whole cloves of garlic before he went on stage. <laughs> Every day, well, not just before he goes on stage, like all he does, he chews on garlic all wow. day long. So he absolutely, st- I mean, you know, you're like, oh, Terry, you're on the mic, sharing the mic, you're like, oh, Terry, you're like, <laughs> crunching away on whole cloves of garlic. Well, you know, he was one of your heroes. You Kept got to work, well. work with him. Yeah. Um, did you gaze on in the spirit of hero worship and say, hey, if Terry's enjoying the garlic so much, maybe I should give it a try? I tried. It was not. It didn't work so well for me. <laughs> <laughs> just like, no one needs me eating cold cloves of garlic. <laughs> yeah. Oh, brilliant. If you're only, uh, this is my final question, I think. If you're only allowed to have one electrical item in your house, what would it be? I mean, I'd say my yogurt maker, but I've now found a way of making yogurt that isn't in the yogurt maker. But I do love my yogurt maker. Do you make yogurt every day? I make yogurt every week. Right, okay. Love yogurt. It's very good for you, Is yogurt. It's quite easy. Yeah, it's really easy. You could you don't actually need an electrical yogurt maker, but I still really like it because it's yeah. just like I've started making bread in it as well. well Gluten-free well. bread. Um, yogurt is often a. I don't. You, I'm sure you, you sound like a very prolific cook. So I like cook- yogurt is a very nice ingredient in bread when you're making bread. Exactly. I put it into some yesterday. It was actually Kefir. disgusting, but that was. It was. <laughs> like, I, t- I tried things. I didn't quite work. But yeah, it is really good. And it's yogurt that you do for 24 hours, so it gets rid of all the lactose, but it just leaves yeah. this really good yogurt. So I'd probably say, I just like I take yogurt makers everywhere I go. That's a that's a brave <laughs> choice of single one sole electrical item. Given that you make it, uh, you make analog yogurt anyway. Yeah, I know. So I should. Ju- well, what other electric thing? I mean, who analog know? yogurt would be a good sort of side project. Name. Analog yogurt. That's the name of my new band. Analog yogurt. Um, well, Beth, on that note, thank you for um, interrupting the the, the the joyous afterglow of your glorious mountain stage set by answering some frankly stupid questions <laughs> okay. by this guy you only met once before many, many years ago. Thank you. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of your You life. too. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hi there, this is Pete Perfides. You're listening to the Green Man Podcast. I'm Emma Jones from the University of South Wales, course leader for BA Honours Fashion Promotion. I'm here today with my colleague. Hi, I'm Jen Whitney. I'm a lecturer in fashion promotion at the University of South Wales. And we're joined by our very special guest, 
Saralad from Hyatt Denim. <laughs> oh, hi. We're really excited to be here at Green Man this year. We're here to host a sustainable and circular fashion event. We want to bring sustainable fashion to the people, to the masses. And we have planned three days of hands-on activities and workshops. And we kicked off our festival of fashion in the Eureka fashion tent, which is sat in the middle of uh, Einstein's garden uh, with Hyatt Denim. Hyatt is a company based in Cardigan, West Wales, where we make jeans. Our motto is do one thing well, and that's all we do is make jeans. Um, so we stand for quality and utilitarian. So we did the denim bag workshops, which we thought would be quite a good creative kind of thing for people to do. But because we stand for quality and we can have sewing machines, we pre-made the bags um, so then everyone could get the opportunity to customise them from our waste. So yeah, we made the denim bags out of all of our waste and then they had the opportunity to make their straps, customise them with our Made in Wales labels, belt loops. I think it was really successful. There were some beautiful ones. It was a fully chock-a-block. It was really lovely to see um, people from all ages right across the Mm. spectrum just getting involved. Uh, But also it was really great to talk about creativity in Wales, incredible products, and what you stand for. Mm. And also, yeah, get get really hands-on with with the materials themselves and and learn about the denim learn about the fabrics where they come from the differences yeah and how you know and how they're made I think it was quite touching as well because there's quite a few people that came up to us where they were kind of hadn't heard of us and kind of bringing back to like the idea the concept that you had behind the the tent of the circular fashion Mm and with our like no wash club free repairs for life Um, this Deja Blue initiative where we encourage people to send their jeans back and um, our landfill dropout which is what the bag workshop was inspired by which are jeans made from our denim waste so the denim isn't ending up in landfill and yeah it's kind of ties it all lovely together but people were like really touched and kind of there's so many people here that only buy second hand or kind of want to buy but don't know where to buy kind of thing and it's a great way to open people's eyes into the future of circular fashion. Absolutely, yeah. And so something that I found really interesting about the the talk that you were giving beforehand was the future of uh, Hyatt Denim. So when you were talking about uh, experimental fabrics and innovation and the new things that you're doing to, you know, pledge to the earth, which is where where the fabric itself and the fibres are sourced from. Can you tell us a little bit about the banana fabric? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. What we say is our silent shareholder is the planet. So we always strive to be as low impact as we can. And that's what it says on the outside of our factory is how can we be lower impact today than we were yesterday? And um, yeah, we fortunately got a um, incredible banana denim, which is basically made out of 30% banana fiber. So it's made from banana peels um, from um, an incredible mill in Japan called Neon Mempu. Um, yeah, and we only managed to get enough to make 30 pairs, but they sold out so quickly. Um, and it had a beautiful yellow selvage on it. Um, and what was the other initiative that you're looking into? It's like agri... Regenerative agricultural That's cotton. It. It's yes. kind of, it's Tell the new that. organic and it's kind of like, yeah, everyone wants to buy organic cotton, but actually the future is regenerative agricultural cotton, mm-hmm. um, which is basically how the, how the cotton is grown and it's grown in a way that it looks after the soil because, yeah, topsoil is kind of in danger and we need to be looking after our planet. Absolutely. Here, here. Yeah. Jen, what was your highlight of the day yesterday? 
Oh gosh, I think it was just lovely to see so many people involved and engaged in the workshops. And at the University of South Wales, our motto is fashion and vith, fashion forever. And just being able to speak to people about their um, interest in sustainable fashion. People are keen to find out about you know, how to be more sustainable, how to um, buy secondhand, how to increase the longevity of their clothes. And so it's just really lovely to chat with people and give them ideas and see where they are with their ideas in the moment. Yeah, it was just totally awesome. We were also doing some weaving. Yes. We brought from Cardiff uh, three um, handmade uh, looms. And the plan was to, again, use some of uh, the materials and the waste to create something beautiful. Yeah, so basically we bought three big bins of all of the waste from our cutting table, so they're all different sizes and shapes, and we basically made our own yarn. So it's weaving already woven denim. So yeah, we've given it a start, and they're looking great um, with all the different shades of blues and stripes and khakis and stuff. It's going to look good. We need to come over and finish it. <laughs> you do, yeah. It's like a, a, a meta kind of like idea. We're weaving the weave. Um, and also the colours are so beautiful. They're really so evocative of the Welsh uh, coastline. Like the yeah. 20 twist it and like the inside of them looks really kind of rocky. Mm. So yeah, that's been lots of fun. And lots of people have been coming in, maybe if they haven't been able to uh, get onto the workshops, to just get touch the fabric and just kind of be part of a kind of community build if you like and just be part of making a, a, a bigger a bigger piece yeah it was great and someone came in yesterday and they'd actually made their own pair of jeans and they were wearing them that day that is insane and it was they were actually like such a great standard um didn't get his name but he we gave him a tote bag to fill with denim so he could make his own pair That's again out wonderful. of our waste yeah wonderful it was great to see i really loved and what i think lots of people responded to was the patterns so uh, how many pieces go into making a pair of jeans? Putting you on the spot here. Um, I think there's about 18 <laughs> pieces, 19 for men's because of the button fly. Yeah. Um, but there are 75 processes to make a pair of Hyatt denim jeans. Mm -hmm. We kind of drew all the patterns out on our selvage, which is a 90 centimetre wide denim roll, and then our organic cotton as well. And then we had all of our jeans kind of old ones that have got all the beautiful repairs on or new ones and yeah highlighting like one of our like special details that we put into our jeans is the inside um, pocket where, where we stamp the artists always sign their work mm -hmm. um, and our grandmasters who are the ones that make the jeans um, sign that jean as kind of a symbol and they've signed it off that they're happy that that gene goes out to the world and that they've, they're happy to put their name on it and it was made in Wales by a person. Yeah, and there were so many lovely Made in Wales tags all over the bags yesterday. Everyone was really proud to put those on. Some really beautiful stitching. So it was nice to slow it down, talk about slow fashion a little bit and about um, the importance of design, of sourcing materials and, and putting it all together in something really special. Uh, and that's one of the reasons that we wanted to partner with you at USW, because my ethos as course leader is really to, to close the gap between the classroom and industry. We're going to be talking about lots of ways that um, we can learn from you and that we can bring our students to hire and maybe bring their new ideas as well and see and see what happens in the in a collaborative space. Yeah, cool. Diane! Woo. Hi, I'm uh, Josh Opinionese. I'm here at Green Man uh, with my film My Extinction. Um, very, very happy to be here. It's a green film. It's a Green Man festival. I guess that makes me a green man filmmaker at a green festival. 
or something. The film is a kind of documentary that I'm in, and I guess it charts my kind of dipping a toe into climate action, and I guess by the end kind of becoming more or less a climate activist. Um, and I guess the, the question behind the film, or sort of why I made it, is you know, why is it that uh, a lot of people I know, including myself, are worried about climate, really concerned, and yet somehow manage to do absolutely nothing at all, really, other than, you know, recycle? Um, that was definitely me at the beginning of uh, making this film. And then over the year or two that I was shooting it, I guess that, that changed. You know, I, I met people who had the same concerns but actually acted on them. And I sat in rooms with them and I started to have feelings that I suppose I'd had but was pushing aside or denying. And then, you know, transformation occurred. So, um, yeah, about to go in and do... Uh, the Q&A, so um, hopefully that will be enlightening. Uh, please come and see the film. It's still playing across the UK in cinemas, picture houses and some other indie cinemas um, and online with Curzon Home Cinema. So, yeah, um, please come see it. Hooray! Josh, congratulations. Brilliant film. Thank you. Um, I'm so glad to sort of play it here. This is, this is, this is a green festival and it's something that uh, is very close to the, the, the heart, the ethos of this festival. Uh, is it something close to your heart now? Because I get, have you changed? Have you, have you, I mean, you sort of do this and then you have to actually get sincere about the, the issues. I mean, I, that was a brief moment of sincerity and it's, it's, it's happily over. Um, uh, well, I mean, the main change is that I'm, I'm five years older than when I shot the film, so just don't, don't look too hard at my face as it sags. Um, no, you know, it's, it, it's, a, it's a documentary. It is what happened. Um, I started out as, I guess you'd say, climate concerned, but does absolutely nothing about it, sort of paralysed. It's too big, it's too much to assimilate. As, as a kind of knowledge, and then yeah, it took a couple of years to shoot. By the end, I guess I'm 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 sort of I've drunk the Kool Aid, and I hope you drink it too. It's You're nice. An activist, um, Devara, he. I'm not going to ask what he's like to live with. Um, <laughs> we saw it. I'll tell you. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> That's why don't. I don't ask. Please. <laughs> We've only got 15 minutes. Uh -huh. um, when he's making a film, well, you know, all right. Then what, what is what is he like to live with? Oh, uh, I, no, I won't tell you. <laughs> no, I, well, what I love about this particular film, actually this film is, the, is, there's a trilogy of films, and the first two are kind of about our marriage, and uh, I, I co-directed them. And this one is really much more about just Josh. And the, um, what I love about this film is, that unlike most activist films, and certainly most climate activist films, in which the central character is very worthy uh, so worthy that you can't relate to them. The provocation of this film, I think, is that the audience feels that they're superior to the protagonist. <laughs> but what are they doing about the climate? Because he is doing something, and are they? So I think that's the provocation of this film. And if I appear to be a, a more sensible person, I'm doing less about the climate than he is too. So, so he's the one who's dragged me into this rather than the other way around. You, you said you didn't really want to be in it, and, 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 but you're here, obviously. Which I yeah, he moved me into it, and, I, and I'm into it now. But, but he had to move me there because there's something about his excessiveness that got me there. How, how difficult has it been to sort of shift yourself around to get radical, to get woke, to get uh, alive to this clearly pressing concern? 
it, is, it seems overwhelming to start with. But what would you advise someone to do? Yeah, I mean, to, to, to be on top of the life you're already living, which no doubt for all of you is quite difficult in some ways, um, uh, and there's a lot to do, and, you know, getting the kids to school and blah, blah, blah. And then on top of that, you want me to save the entire world. That seems, you know, a bit too big of an ask. You know, where, where does one start other than maybe vaguely thinking about recycling or, or whatever? Um, but, but I think when you, when you break it down, um, the things you can do are the things you're already doing whatever you're good at now. I'm a filmmaker, I, I'm sort of okay at making films, so make films that do that. If you're a lawyer, you know, do some law pro bono for a, a, a climate charity one day a week. You know, give, give up one night of Netflix a week and spend that doing, you know, baking cakes if that's what you do and taking them to your local XR group or, you know, whatever. You, you don't need to change that much. And I suppose the, what the film kind of hoped to demonstrate is that you can remain, as I say, I suppose, in the film, a, a sort of somewhat egotistical, self-absorbed person, <laughs> um, which I still am, and certainly still am at the end of the film and still do something. You don't have to be Joan of Arc. You know, one of the barriers to entry, I think, is you look at Greta Thunberg or whatever, and you think, what an amazing person, what an angel, what, what, a, what but I could never be like that, because clearly this is a person who, who can give everything, and some people do. But most people don't and can't, and that's fine, because if just, you know, a lot of people gave 2% of their time, that would be far more effective in terms of social change than a few people giving 100%. So, so I think that, that would be the thing, and I think that the first thing you have to do is get off online and get onto offline. So to put your body in a room, you know, we're here today at Green Man, we're, we're already doing something, we're putting our bodies together in a space, maybe we're listening to music, maybe we're just hanging out, maybe we're having conversations, and it changes everything, doesn't it? It changes the way we relate to each other and we feel about each other. And so the first step, as shown in the film, is it's an icky one, especially if you're someone like me who doesn't really like groups of people, doesn't want to be part of a club that would have him, and so on. Um, but once you're in that room, in the slightly embarrassing church hall, with a slightly vicarish quality and the bad tea, and so on, then you start to meet people who might be a lot like you and feel a lot of the things you feel or nothing like you and feel some of the things you feel about climate. And then a conversation begins and your body in that political space shifts things, but it can't be done you know, without that movement of the body. Once that's there, then you start to have feelings because bodies have feelings and you start to feel things that you've been trying not to feel because they're too scary and too horrible. And then you feel them with other people as shown in cinema here. And then it's actually not that bad to feel a little bit of despair and so on. You can feel it and then that feeling is transformative. Those, those same feel, the, the theory behind the film, I suppose, which comes from Devorah's work actually, is that is a psychotherapeutic one. You know, feel your feelings and they'll transform you. The, the, the energy you spend denying your feelings is, is denial, right? So, you know, impotence, rage, you know, guilt, the, the kind of key feelings that come up when we talk or think about climate block you. But if you share them, and share them in a milieu of other bodies, then they transform and they become, those same feelings become the impetus for the drive for, for action. And that's it, really. It's not, it's not complicated. It's a very good answer, by the way. Thank you. Wasn't <laughs> it? Woo! Woo! Cool. You're already kind of, doing it. Of, it's great. I've done quite a few Q&As with Josh. I wasn't quite expecting that to be. <laughs> uh, 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 so I say this has changed you. Uh, a little bit. A little bit. Uh, these two, they, they you mentioned the films that you've made together before. Uh, just remind me of the titles. The first one was called The New Man, which was uh, 
they're all, I'd say, portraits of Josh. The first one is the new man, and it looks at my pregnancy from his perspective. And uh, very tough pregnancy for him. <laughs> the yeah. second one is called Husband, which looks again at something happening to me from his perspectives. <laughs> this is the uh, this is what we do. We look at things from his perspective. And Devore, I have to say, is a, a, a superb writer uh, as oh well as like a great uh, joke teller. She wrote a book about Jewish jokes. <laughs> very good humour, obviously used in this film and, and the other films we've made quite a bit. But you know, when you've got a social issue that's you know, sort of inextricably awful and depressing, like the end of the world. You know, humor is a way in for people, so that was important that the film be both intimate and funny. And yeah, histories, I mean, the, the Jewishness, you know, as a history of, you know, this history too, you're in it, you know, is, is one that copes with trauma by making jokes about it as a sort of survival tool. Um, so I think that's a strat another strategy that could be quite useful potentially for you, maybe in your work or in your life, is that, you know, and obviously it's quite dark humor that's required but yeah. yeah so yeah the people that you've met I mean you met some sort of famous people in this but the people that you've met Extinction Rebellion or whatever these activists have they surprised you delighted you annoyed you what's your attitude to this to this sort of culture that you that, that is necessary some of these XR people are very committed yes. uh, you would you would even say they're sort of crazy in some way yeah. but what uh, are the people that you've met who can be uh, inspired you or yeah they have they've all been amazing really um, with very few exceptions I mean I suppose one thing to say again is that the, um, I didn't meet any zealots I thought I'd meet zealots you know people have sort of psychotic gleam in their eye as they drive us into a sort of death cult or whatever um, didn't find that was hoping for a little bit nothing Every Everyone was like super nice, super normal and committed. And I suppose a thing that binds very diverse people together in this is that perhaps the, the biographies that I know, the people whose stories I've come to know, tend to have something that got them into this. What was it? Well, you know, because otherwise everyone would be into this because obviously it's a big thing that we should all do. But something had opened up in their lives a little bit. Maybe their, their kids had grown up and, and, and left home, you know, or maybe, uh, you know, pregnancy or a divorce or somebody at the beginning of the film, I, I effectively lose a, a job, a film falls apart. You know, some gap of loss or failure or something opens up. And it's in those moments of not being perfect, being a bit broken that you you, the, the, the sort of toughness of society demanding things of us constantly suddenly opens up a bit and although those are painful moments they're also the moments when you sort of go why am I doing all the, the, the world's ending I should probably and then something you know comes into that void and so yeah very uh, lovely uh, very, it's a very warm uh, gr group it, do you feel in despair that the world is ending I mean I yeah, I mean, that's that. Look, I, I, no, I, do, I do despair. It's, it's really horrible. I mean, I, I have pretty good functional denial, um, and I mostly don't feel those feelings. I don't think you need to feel them all the time. That would be hard and not, not very productive. Um, but I, I do feel them sometimes. I think maybe it's good to feel them from time to time. Mostly, I feel. There is optimism for me, which is that climate action definitely works. You know, if you think about the needle has been hugely moved since 2018 by XR, by Greta, by David Attenborough, by very mainstream people, by, you know, some of the Tory party, you know, all kinds of people. The, the needle is massively moving and it has been, the discourse has been changed. So climate action works. It's just there needs to be a lot more of it and it needs to be quicker. We can, we can save our planet, we can save ourselves. You can, Jason. I will You're do the it. one. I, I do it one film at a time every yeah. day here at the, at the Synodrome. I yeah. think we can do damage limitation. I mean, we have to be honest, it's not. Yeah. There are irretrievable losses, they're there happening are. every day. But we can, we can limit the damage, and we should. So We yeah. can, so we must. Yeah.
Yeah. We must do. Yeah. Are you touring with this film? I mean, what's, what's been the journey of a film like this? I, I, sense, I sense its journey has surprised you. Yeah, I mean, it's for a small film that we made for 20 quid in our front room, um, it's, it's done quite well. I guess people are interested to hear about this sort of journey and, you know, what are the barriers to climate action and what does that look like? And that was kind of the point of the film. And so, yeah, no, it came out in June and I think it's got about 50 screens. It's still going. Tell your friends, you know, uh, come and see it. Yeah. Would you please thank my guests, Josh Pinionese, Deborah Baum and their film, Mike Stinchin. Thank you.